Morning. I like the quiet that is hanging over the place. Leave your Bibles open. All right, we're going to, you should always do that. When, when you're listening to God's Word uh, being preached, you should leave the Word open so you can look at it and check and make sure that I'm that the preacher's in line with what's going on here and that what he's saying isn't just funny or uh, engaging but actually helps you to understand what's here. If, the, if God hasn't spoken, then preachers really don't have anything to say. But God has spoken. He's spoken to us from his word. Now, one thing that I like to do, and I think it's good practice for all of us. Sorry, I got too many things up here. One thing that I like to do, and I think it's good practice, whenever you're studying a passage of Scripture, uh, or you're preparing to preach, you're preparing to teach a passage of Scripture, is to try this exercise. It's to take the section that you've read, and after chewing on it for a little while, try to summarize it in one really tight, succinct sentence. What, what you're getting at there is, what's the main idea? What, what's, what's God seeking to accomplish here? What's the truth that's being communicated about God, about me, about us? And then you should also be asking, what does he want me to do about it? Scripture always is making a claim upon us. And so, so we should try to do that when we're studying a section of Scripture. And I've done that this morning. Now, sometimes the main point of the text is actually you can pull it verbatim from the text. That's always nice when that happens. But sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes in a narrative or in, in prophetic literature, you need to, to read it and study it and then seek to, to understand what the main point is. In this passage of Scripture, I think, I've studied it this week, I think that Jesus actually gives us the main point. He actually summarizes in one sentence something that holds the whole episode together. It's right here when he said this. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. As the Father has sent me, even so, I am sending you. I think that if you're, if you're uh, a note taker, you write that down. It's like that, that's the main point of this passage. If you're a highlighter, if, you like to, if you're not afraid to mark your Bible up, mark it up. Highlight it because I think that's the main point of this passage. And, and everything else that's happening in this episode attaches to this main point. As the Father has sent me, even so, I am sending you. Let me, let me try to summarize it in an even shorter phrase, in a more succinct phrase than even what Jesus has said. I'm going to use a, a popular phrase, it's very popular right now, to summarize the entirety of this passage. This is what Jesus is saying, full send. Full send. I see smiles among these guys that are teenagers. And maybe some of you hip, more hip, older people. I, because by saying that what Jesus is really saying here is 
full scent. I've got the attention of everyone 25 and younger. Gen Zers. But the rest of you need an explanation. Because you don't know what's going on. You don't know what I mean by full scent. Full scent is a phrase that actually became popularized through the outrageously successful and infectious video game called Fortnite. Now, it's, it's more popular now than just among those that would consider themselves gamers. This idea of full send. If you look it up in the Urban Dictionary, which the Urban Dictionary can be helpful if you want to understand slang. And what the Urban Dictionary would say, full send means to play 100% aggressively and rush headlong into enemy territory to get the win. That's what it means to go full send. One of my sons, I asked him, hey, paraphrase full send for me. He said, it's an action phrase talking about being scared of something but going in head first, no regrets. Full send. Full send is what Jesus is talking about in this passage. Full send, I'm saying, is contemporary talk. Let me explain. Let me use it in a sentence, a couple sentences, then you'll I want to make sure you understand this. A guy sitting with his buddies might say, I'm going to get up the guts and ask her out. And his buddies might say, do it, man, full scent. <laughs> or uh, uh, the girls, at my house this is popular, the girls might be gathering together for a glow up. You got the masks, you got the fingernail, you got everything. And they'll say, girls, it's glow-up time, full scent. <laughs> or you might say at, 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 at work, you're preparing a proposal that's going to, if you get it, it's going to make you a lot of money. So I'm putting together a really, propose, a, a really important proposal right now. I'm going full scent. Or you might say, you know what? You gather the kids, and you decide you have one of these moments where you're going to get your diet in order. You, you know what I'm doing. Like at the, the beginning of the year, we do this. Like, kids, it's time. We're, 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 the family's going paleo now. <laughs> we're going all organic. Bring the trash can over to the pantry. We're going full send on this thing. Or maybe one more analogy. One more analogy would be to be snowboarding with your sons, perhaps, at which point you are at the top of the mountain and you look down over a, like a, a, a straight-off drop that you might think, I ain't never going off this. But they look at and say, I'm going to send it. Full send. You got it? A disciple, which is what we're talking about here, Got this encounter with Jesus. A disciple is a follower of Jesus. A disciple is someone who finds in Jesus the great treasure of their lives. 
And when you find that, when you find, just as Joe shared a, a word that was on his heart, when you find Jesus to be the great treasure of your life, when you find in him eternal riches, when you find in him forgiveness for your sins, when you find him to be a greater savior than anything this world can offer, when you find that to be true, then what happens is you, you, you turn your life over to Christ, you surrender to him your life, you receive what only he can give you, and you begin to live for Jesus. What matters to Jesus starts to matter to you. What, what matters in life is what Jesus has to say. And so you start reading the Bible and you start asking God by his spirit to, to take the word and begin to shape your life according to his word. When that happens, you start living, functionally believing that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. You start, you start living and praying this. You start saying, Jesus, would you help me to do what you told every disciple that they have to do? Would you help me to, to, to lay down my life? Would you help me to deny myself? Would you help me to take up my cross? Would you help me to follow you? You really want to do that if you've become a follower of Jesus. Amen? In other words, you want to live your life for him. You want to live your life in a way that brings a smile to, to your Savior's face. You want to live your life doing what he's called every disciple to do. In other words, what I'm saying is you, if you are in Christ, if you are a disciple of Christ, you want to live your lives full send for Jesus. All out. No retreat. No reserve, no regrets. It's all for you, Jesus, and spreading your fame. That's the claim. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. How do you do that? How do we live lives full send? for Jesus, all out for Jesus, no reserve, no retreat, no regrets. How do we do that? How should a Christian live for Jesus? What does it look like to live what I'm calling the gospel life? Well, this story that Isaac just read is a story of Christ's encounter with a fearful, guilt-ridden group of disciples that functions as a model for gospel life and mission. This encounter functions as with this group of disciples is a model for gospel life and mission. So I developed, I'm following something that Isaac did a couple years ago. He, he created an acronym that stuck with us for applying the sermon, Arlo. Do you guys remember that? Some of you remember it. I've developed an acronym this morning that I really feel is going to help us to live the gospel life. And I'm going to show you that the acronym that I've developed is coming right out of this encounter with Jesus. To live the gospel life is simply to care. 
It's to care about Jesus. It's to care about one another. It's to care about people that you know who don't yet know Jesus. That's our vision. That's love for God, love for one another, love for our neighbors and a world that is perishing. We care about Jesus. We care about the things that he says. We care about his word. We care about the things that he cares about. So to live the Christian life is to care. So, so the model that I'm going to propose this morning is care. C-A-R. I gotta, now I'm in trouble. E-E. <laughs> C-A-R-E. How's that? Care. This model's going to help us. So what I'm saying is that here's a model that's going to help you when you head to your devotions, when you're heading to Sunday morning worship, when you're heading to your small group, to your missional community, when you're heading to a women's ministry event, when you're heading to a Bible study, when you're heading to a fight club, care. C-A-R-E is what you should have in your mind. And if you have it in your mind and you seek to make, to apply it to your life, then you will be, by God's grace, a disciple who lives full send for Jesus. Care. Let's start with the first one. Care. A model for gospel life. C. The C stands for come. C-O-M-E. Come as you are. This is the first step. The first step in living for Jesus is coming to Jesus. And and the first step, whether you've been following Jesus for a long time or whether you just started to follow Jesus, when you begin to engage in your devotions or you show up to a Sunday morning, you show up to, to a missional community, you show up in some place where you're gathering with other believers, the first thing we have to remember, church, and this is easier said than done, you come as you are. You come as you are. Not as you wish to be. You come as you are. Church has got this all jacked up. Church has got this all jacked up. The people come, that, that salvation, you're saved freely by grace, but then after you become a Christian, they'll give you a little bit of time, but then you need to show up with your, with your Christian mask on. Some of you have done it. I do it. I put my Christian uniform on when I show up for church. And what the gospel says, if you really want to find hope in Jesus, you come as you are. And Jesus meets you where you are. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? In some of your most powerful moments in Christ, it was when you had nothing. When you said, I'm needy. And Jesus said, that's good because I came. I didn't come for, for those that was, would say, I'm good. I'm healthy. I came for the sick. So if you're here this morning and you feel, even in the smallest way, your need for Jesus, you just come as you are, and Jesus will meet you as you are. And we see this right here happening. It says, on the evening of that day, what day? First Easter. 
on the evening of that first Easter Sunday, when, remember last week, when John and Peter ran to the tomb and saw it was empty, but Mary hung around crying, encounter with the angels, then she sees the resurrected Christ. On that same day, Jesus has an encounter with the disciples, and I want you to notice something about the disciples. What's the adjective to describe their emotional state? Now, without looking, you might think, oh my goodness, <laughs> the tomb is empty. Mary's run back, told the disciples. Peter, Peter ran up and saw that the tomb was empty. Mary had angels appear to her. Jesus then appeared to her, and she said, go tell the disciples, go tell the brothers what I've said to you. That's all taken place. And that night, the disciples are in a room together. Filled with fear. Fear. So fearful. I love the details. John said so fearful that sliding the locks, everything was latched up. Why? The fear functions, church, I think, at two levels. One is more of a, a surface level. The reason for their fear, he tells us, fear of the Jewish leaders. What's the fear of the Jewish leaders? It makes sense. Their Savior was just brutally crucified. Maybe they're coming for us. That's why Peter denied him. It's for fear. I'd like to think that we'll all be heroic if, if what was really required of us was our lives, if what we were really going to endure was intense persecution for our faith in Jesus, which is not what most of us want to, will encounter. People like Ben and Jay are going to encounter it more than we will. Fear tells us we're fearful. But the fear functions at another level that I think we really need to see. The function of the fear is to highlight the miraculous way in which Jesus gets to fearful disciples. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Well, let me describe it right from the text. They're filled with fear. They've locked the doors. And Jesus, somehow, without going through the door, ends up in the room with them. So the fear functions to show us that even when we come as we are in our messed up, fearful state, Jesus is able to get to you even through a door that you locked. And his coming does something. 
We're going to look at this more closely. His coming actually transforms their fear. They are fearful, but they don't remain fearful. Scripture tells us that then the disciples were glad. Fear transformed into joy. Circumstances haven't changed. The things that they are fearful about, they're right to be fearful of. Most of them are going to suffer brutally for their faith in Jesus Christ. But the appearance of Jesus has made them glad. Knowledge of Jesus being with them in their fears has made them glad. We come to Jesus as we are. And then Jesus comes to us. Jesus gets to us as we are. You don't have to clean yourself up for Jesus. You don't have to put your Sunday best attitude on. You come as you are. Jesus meets you as you are. And he transforms your fears, your emotions, however you're feeling, your shame, your guilt. He takes those things and he transforms them by the power of who he is and the gospel message. We can come to him. Aren't you glad, church? And my, I hear some of you chirping. I, but did, aren't you glad that you can come to him needy? Aren't you glad that you can come to him with your worries? Aren't you glad that you can come to him with the things that you fear? Aren't you glad that you can come to him after you've sinned? Aren't you glad that you can come to him this morning in your anger and in your frustrations? You can come to Jesus in that way. You don't have to clean yourself up first. That's not what the gospel teaches. You come as you are and Jesus, glorious Savior Jesus, meets you right where you are. He comes to us as we really are, not as we would hope to be, not as we would want to be. He comes to us as we really are. Jesus says to all of us, it's okay to be needy. They're the kind of people I came for. Jesus says to all of us, it's okay to not be okay. Because my gospel is what's going to fix that. Jesus came for those who say, I need you, Jesus. Not for those who would say, Jesus, I'm pretty good without you. Jesus says to every person in this room who's not yet a Christian, you can come as you are. Jesus says to every person that is a Christian, clothed in the righteousness of Christ, but still a mess, you can come as you are. That's the gospel. To all who are weary and in need of rest, Christ says, come. To all who mourn and long for comfort, in your souls, Christ says, come. To all who are wounded and need a healing, Christ says, come. To all who fail over and over again and need strength, Jesus says, come. To all who sin and need a Savior, Christ says, come. Oh, I'm taking a long time on this one, but you need it. You need this. Where's Trisha? You really need this, Trisha. 
I heard you back there. I can't see you, but I heard you. Let me, let, me, let me just make one more point about come. You're getting this, right? This is a model for gospel life and mission. You come as you are and Jesus meets you. Jesus comes to you as you are. But no matter what you're dealing with right now, I want you to see something else. No matter what you're going through, no matter how bad you feel the odds are stacked against you, Jesus is coming for you. Even through a door, like I said, that you might have locked. You might say, oh my goodness, this is such a mess. I can't let Jesus see this. Good luck. Good luck keeping him out. He's coming in love. He's coming in mercy. Nothing is going to keep Christ from getting to you. Some of you need to hear that this morning. Nothing is going to keep Jesus from making his way to you. Paul said it this way. What shall separate us? Who shall separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus? Do you remember Paul saying that? What, what's going to do it? Who will do it? And then he just starts listing them. Not tribulation. Not trouble's not going to separate you from Jesus. Not distress isn't going to separate you from Jesus. Persecution's not going to separate you from Jesus. Famine, we don't know much about that, but famine's not going to separate us from Jesus. Global pandemics aren't going to separate us from Jesus. Cancer can't separate you from Jesus. Not danger, not progressive secular ideas. No, in all these things, we are more then conquers through him who loved us and came for us and stands with us. Nothing will separate us. Paul goes on, not death, not life, not angels, not rulers, not things in the present, not things to come, not height, not depth, Nothing in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus because he's coming for you. I hope I pounded that point. Come. You come as you are. Jesus comes to you as you are. He's not waiting around for you to get it together. If you want to live life full send, the first step is you've got to come, just like the disciples did, fearful. And then he starts to do some things. Let's move on. C, care. Next letter in our acronym for our model for gospel life and mission, A. A stands for apply. First we've got to come, then we've got to apply. He came to the disciples, we're told. He, he stood among the disciples. He spoke to the disciples. He comes to us, church. He stands with us. He stands among us, and he speaks to us. He came, he stood, he said. He came, he stood, he said. And the focus here, we've already talked about his coming and his standing with us. What we're focusing on here is what does he say? So what does he say to fearful disciples? It's not a trick question. You can look. Right now, what does he say? They're fearful. What does he say to fearful disciples? Jesus came, he stood among them, verse 19, and said to people that are fearful, peace. Peace. 
And when he had said this, he showed him his hands aside. We're going to get to that. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, what's he say? Something different? No. Says the same word again. Peace. What fearful people need is peace. And Jesus emphasizes that that's what he's come to give. So he says it two times. You didn't understand me. Jesus giving peace to fearful people. Whenever God repeats himself, listen up. He said two times to fearful people, my peace. Isn't that what you need when you feel fearful? When fear has gripped you in the deep, deep places, when anxiety is consuming you, what do you need? You need peace. Now I want you to just see here that just like the fear functioned at two levels, the peace that he's offering functions at two levels. Because in a very real way, we all need peace, the ultimate peace that Jesus came to give. Do you remember when he was with the disciples in the upper room teaching them, he said, my peace I give to you. This is just him repeating himself. What peace? The peace that comes to everyone who is at enmity with God, which is all of us. We've all rebelled against God. We've all turned our, our faces against him. We've all shaken our fists at him. We're, at, we're in sin. We're enemies of God. We're at enmity with God. And we know it deep down. And we long for peace with God. And Jesus says, Isaiah said it this way, that Jesus' punishment, that, that the, the punishment of the suffering servant has bought me, has brought me, has purchased my peace. So the gospel is what puts sinners who are at enmity with God at peace with God. And you don't have to do anything to get it. Jesus did it all to secure it for you. Isn't that amazing? But the peace functions at another level. It doesn't function just in a salvific way. It functions in the moment for these disciples. Like they, they need a peace in their circumstances. At least that's what they think they need. The disciples were fearful in a very functional, very practical way. And Jesus shows up and there's peace. A couple of years ago, I was going through a really, really difficult time. I feel like it was, a, I would describe it as a dark time in my soul. Fearful about the future. And it was a season of feeling darkness. I couldn't sleep. I lay in bed, tossing, turning. Couldn't sleep, so, so I would just get up. Get up really early in the morning when it's still dark. And I can remember, I can see myself 
fat, flat on my face on the floor. Just ask him, God, please. And one day, as I was laying on the floor, I felt like the Lord took the word and spoke it to my heart. You ever have that happen? And he said to me, Kenny, I promised to never leave you or forsake you. I promised it. And I've never failed on any of my promises. And that fearful man lying on the floor had peace from heaven flood his heart. My circumstances hadn't changed one bit. But what I needed to know was that Jesus was with me in them. Some of you need to know that this morning. You need the reminder that, that Jesus is with you. He's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. And this thing that you're going through, he's fully aware of it, and he's working all things for good. He's always up to something good. And what he's saying to you is, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I promise you. He's your peace. He's going to see you through this. And I want you to see something else that's incredibly beautiful here because Jesus doesn't just speak words. He actually does an object lesson. Did you see this? He actually shows them something. He doesn't, I love when I see you look at your Bibles. So what's he talking about? What does he do? He does an object lesson. He, he tells them peace, but he doesn't just tell them peace. He actually shows them something. He shows them what? Do you see it? Holds in his hands, holds on his side. Object lesson. What does that mean? He's showing you how he suffered to purchase the peace that he says you can have. That's the gospel, friends. He's showing them the, the, the wounds uh, in his hands, the wounds on his side. That is, he is applying the gospel to the disciples just like he applies it to us. I, heard one, I read one writer who said, Jesus' wounds are his credentials to the suffering race of humans. He's giving you his credentials. He's saying peace, and I know I can give it because I died in your place and was raised again. See the wounds? It's me. See the wound in my side? It's me. I can actually make happen the things that I want to happen. Gospel, transformative power. Fears transformed to peace. Fears were told transformed to gladness, to happiness, to joy. Imagine how guilt-ridden Peter feels having denied Jesus. He's got all this guilt 
but Jesus is going to transform that guilt into joy. And we're going to read about that near the end of the gospel, in the end of John's gospel. The gospel deals with Peter's guilt and shows him that he can actually be forgiven through the power of Christ. That's gospel power. Jesus comes right to you where you are and he reminds you of your need for the gospel. He reminds you that the gospel and his presence with you in your current circumstances changes everything. Jesus went through the ultimate fiery trial so that he could, Shelby preached this, so that he could stand with you in your fiery trial. Jesus endured the ultimate rejection so that he could be with you and stand with you when you experience rejection and feel all alone. Jesus endured the rejection of the Father so that you would never be ultimately rejected. Because anybody say amen. Jesus endured deep sorrow, deep pain, so that he could comfort you and yours. Jesus paid your penalty to God. Jesus paid your debt of sin so that you wouldn't stand one day before God naked and bankrupt. He became naked and poor so that you could become rich. That's the application of the gospel to ourselves, to our souls. He came, he stood, he said. So we're talking about this acronym. What do we do? We got to come as we are. What do we do when we get there? We apply. Jesus applies the gospel to our real situation. We seek to apply the gospel to our real emotions, our real circumstances, our real soul state. That's what we do if we want to live full sin. I'm convinced that one of the reasons why we're not good at preaching the gospel to others is because we're not good at preaching it to ourselves. I'm convinced that one of the reasons why we're not good at applying the good news to other people is because we're not good at applying it to ourselves. So church, let's get better at applying the good news to our own souls so that then we can turn and help people apply it to theirs. Amen? All right, so first we come, then we apply now, R, C-A-R, we request. We request. Come as you are, apply the gospel, and request. Now, let me show you in this encounter with Jesus with his disciples where I see this because it's actually a weird moment in the story. Did any of you make note of, that's weird, did anybody say that when they read it? If you didn't say that, you're just reading. You're not, you're not paying attention to the story. Because if you read this for, story for the first time, or if you read this story to a four-year-old, they would say, ah, question, that's weird. Why did Jesus breathe on them? Nobody's asking? When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Weird, Jesus. Receive the Holy Spirit. What's going on? Guys, I could preach a whole sermon on this. The theologians that I trust and I study, they have pages and pages and pages on trying to make sense of this. Let me give you a summary, which I think will help you. What Jesus did was symbolic. 
Because we know that the Holy Spirit comes like fire, like breath, at Pentecost. But this isn't Pentecost. This is resurrection. It's the first day. So what John is showing us is a sim- that Jesus, what he did that day with the disciples is he symbolized what was going to happen when the Father sent the Spirit tongues of fire like wind upon the disciples at Pentecost. Now check this, because this, is, this will help you. John's gospel, if you line up all the gospels, was written far later than the rest of the gospels. And so John is writing to people, he's writing 20 years after Pentecost. Pentecost has already happened. People know about Pentecost. And so when they read this, they knew that what John was saying, John wasn't saying that was a mini Pentecost. John was saying that this is symbolic of what was going to happen, which already did happen about 20 years ago in the history of the church. That's all I'm going to say. If you don't understand it, I'm sorry, you should go study it on your own. That sounded rude, but that's the best I can do. I read a study the other day that estimated the amount of money that goes unused on gift cards in America. Blew my mind. And you know some of you are contributing because you got gift cards all over the place. I know this is true. Like we need a you need a place to put a gift card when you get it. They all go into the same place. I'm thinking of a couple right now, and that I can't find. I don't know where they are. But there's this money, it's real cash value going unused. Do you know what the total is, the estimated total of unused gift cards in America annually? Three billion dollars. What? Three billion dollars is going unused. I'm saying to you, all you people that wait and, and, and think you're buying a nice gift on, on Christmas Eve, you run out to Wawa and get a bunch of gift cards. I'm telling you, you, might, you probably just threw your money away because people aren't even using them. Three billion dollars unused. Three billion dollars wasted, real money, unused. whole group of people living below the level of their benefits. Whole group of people that got real money, real cash, and were not accessing it, not presenting the card, not using it, not cashing it in for its value. Too many Christians, here's the point I'm trying to make, too many Christians, too many of you, including myself, are living below the level of the benefits we have in Jesus. So we've got all these benefits, like cash value, like, like, like a, 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 a gift card from the bank of heaven that can be presented 24-7 and you can't find it. You hid it away somewhere. 
You're not using it. We're like Christians that are living below the level. It's, it's like God invites us into it, into this relationship with him. And he says, we have all these benefits. And we say, Lord, we'll just live down here. What fools. The gift of the Holy Spirit, which God has given to us in Christ Jesus is of incredible value to every single one of us, to every believer. But he, he's like a gift card that goes unused. It's like $3 billion sitting out there, and, and, and nobody's making any requests. So our model for gospel life is you got to come as you are, you got to apply the gospel, and you need to request the presence and the help of the Holy Spirit. This is why Paul said that we should pray for a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. People get, all, people get their knickers in a twist. Oh, wait, didn't the Spirit come to us when we were believers? Of course it did. Of course he did. But Paul is saying that we should continually pray that the Spirit of God would, would fill us in a fresh way and cause his fruit to blossom in our lives. When's the last time you requested the help of the Holy Spirit? When's the last time you asked the Holy Spirit to fill you with himself? When's the last time you asked the Holy Spirit to fill you so that, and, and cause his fruit to ripen in your life? Going unused like gift cards, isn't it? This shouldn't be, church. I hope this is a reminder to us that every time we come to a meeting, every time we come to worship, you're driving in your car and you say, I'm just going to come as I am, Lord. I'm going to show up as I am, and you're going to meet me where I am. And then I'm going to try to apply the gospel, the good news. And Jesus, you're going to apply the gospel to my heart. And I'm requesting, I'm saying right now as I drive, would you fill me with your spirit? Would you cause your fruit to ripen in my life? Would you, would you energize me to do the things that I know you're calling me to? Would you fill me with your spirit so I wouldn't be as fearful as I am and anxious as I am, troubled as I am? That's the model for the gospel life. One more. And then we're done. Last step. The last step. C-A-R-E. What do you do after you come as you are? You apply the gospel. You, you uh, request the Holy Spirit. What do you do now? E, engage. You engage. What's that mean? Well, we're back to the summarizing sentence. We're back to the summarizing sentence of this passage. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. We're sent ones. If you're in Christ, you've been sent. If you're, if you're in Christ, you have to live on mission. You don't have a choice about the matter. In fact, to be a healthy disciple is to make another disciple. That's what being sent means. I'm not making this stuff up. we got to engage. Full send. Even as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. How's he sending you? Full send. Now let me deal with this. I hope I'm dealing with all your questions because he says something really strange here in verse 23. Receive the Holy Spirit. Then he says to the disciples, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Jesus, what are you talking about? Let me put it out of your mind that any of you has the ability to forgive sins or any of you have the ability to withhold forgiveness of sins. 
let me remind you what the Bible says. Who does that? Who's the only one that can forgive sins? Who's the only one that could withhold forgiveness of sins? Who? It's not you, right? It's God. That's an act that only God can do. That's a task that only he can accomplish. And John says this. This is similar to what Matthew says in Matthew 18, which is in the context of how we deal with someone in their sins. But that's not the context for John. He's not talking about this. He's talking about in the context of forgiveness of sins. What does he mean? What he means, because this may sound stern and harsh, But what he's talking about is this is simply what happens every time the gospel is preached. Every time the gospel is preached, there are only two viable responses. You can either receive Jesus and your sins will be forgiven, or you can reject Jesus and you will, forgiveness will be withheld. That's what happens every time we preach the gospel. One of two responses. You're either receiving what Christ has has purchased for us and the forgiveness that he purchased for us, or we're rejecting it. And when you reject it, then, then you are rejected. You don't receive the forgiveness that Christ has come to offer. Let me just end with a couple thoughts. It's so clear that God expects us to live as sent ones. I have one other thing that I want to say to you, but I'm not going to say it. I'm going to end here. Jairus is going to come. C, come as you are. A, apply the gospel. R, request the Holy Spirit. E, engage on the mission that God has called us to, that God has sent us. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. If you're following Jesus, then you have been sent. Brandywine Grace, God is looking for something. There's an expectation that God has for all of us that we would be a band of disciples who are going hard after Jesus. How hard? Full send. This is what God is expecting of those that he has saved. We're going, Brandywine Grace, we're going together, full send. We're going hard after Jesus. No reserve, no retreat, no regrets, full send. Amen. Amen.